Well, before I get into my message, there's a couple of things that I want to acknowledge. Uh, the first of which is, uh, you may have noticed as you walked in, uh, we have a new structure in this room. Uh, it's our tech booth. And uh, we've, for the longest time, had this temporary tech booth with cords everywhere. And two of our own, David and Sherry Roach, spent the week building out a permanent tech booth uh, structure for us. So very thankful for that. Um, and I just want to thank our tech team. They get very little acknowledgement, but, uh, you know, the band, they're amazing. And by the way, that was amazing today. But our tech team is here early, uh, making sure that everything that you see and hear uh, is perfect. And uh, they're an amazing team. So if you would just wave to them this morning, if you turn and wave to them, they're amazing. You watch the live stream, they're making that happen as well. So very cool, very cool. Um, it's my guess that you have not missed out on the devastation that's happened uh, in Lahaina this past week. And I know that many people in this room, in fact, have close ties to that area. Uh, my parents, in fact, uh, spent or have spent a number of months every winter just north of Lahaina. Lots of connections, huge devastation. And so before we jump in this morning, I just thought we, it would be appropriate for us to pray um, for that community and also just the devastation that occurs on a regular basis in our world. It's a part of what it means to be a part of a sinful world and a broken world. And so we're just going to pray for God's mercy in that. Would you do that with me this morning? God, thank you for the chance for us to gather here freely this morning. And yet we know that there are so many uh, in our world that aren't able to do that. And we think namely of those who are in Lahaina and the surrounding areas as they deal with the devastation of their community. The lives that have been lost, the homes that have been lost, the hope that seems to be dashed. God, I pray that you would meet them in mercy wherever they are today. Lord, it's hard to watch sometimes what can happen in this world. And yet we believe and we come and we gather because we believe that you are sovereign, that you're in control, that the results, as we talked about last week, belong to you. And even though we don't have all of the answers, we can't seem to even explain things at times, we know that you're working in it. And so though we're thousands of miles away, we pray for those who've been affected by this devastation. We unite together in your spirit and we ask God for your mercy and your grace in the lives of those who've been affected. Thank you for that. Thank you that as we experience devastation in our lives, you walk with us. That you are not blind to, nor are you foreign to devastation. And we're grateful for that. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, my wife and I grew up in very different places. I grew up uh, in the Midwestern city of St. Paul, Minnesota. My wife was raised on the beaches of Santa Barbara, California. I was used to humid summers and frozen winters. She was used to idyllic weather and ocean sunsets. I wore hockey skates. She wore sandals. I grew up with tornadoes, which was the thing in Minnesota and throughout the Midwest. She grew up with earthquakes. Now, growing up in Southern California, Kristen would tell you that it's not a matter of if an earthquake will happen, but it's a matter of when an earthquake will happen. Because earthquakes are going to happen in Southern California. And in the event of one happening, you had best be prepared. 
And for instance, when we were newly married and we moved to Minnesota, she was astonished by the fact that we would hang shelves with stuff loosely attached to it above our beds. She could not believe people would do that. How stupid could you be? Because if you grow up in an area in an earthquake, you are just, you're just itching and asking for a nighttime injury, right? But in Minnesota, that was not a concern of ours. Our concern was, will this entire house be lifted off the ground and blown away someday? But if you live in the world or in an area where there's earthquakes, you know, you have to be prepared. Now, personally, I have only experienced one earthquake. And believe it or not, it wasn't a very big one, but I was on a chairlift riding to the top of a mountain in Lake Tahoe. And I looked behind me and everything was like waving and disorienting. And I got off and I, almost, I literally fell to the ground. I, I couldn't stand. It was so disorienting. Everything looked out of focus. I felt drunk, you know, like I just couldn't stand straight. And I just sat on the ground until it ended, which wasn't very long. But, but I got to thinking about that. And I was like, this is what earthquakes are like. And if you've been in one, you know this, they're disorienting. You're just not quite sure, like, what is happening to the world around me? They cause this imbalance. They bring a, a certain level of destruction, right? Some worse than others. And then in the aftermath of an earthquake, the natural response for all of us is to check our surroundings. Like, am I okay? Are they okay? Is everything, you know, in the house okay? Did the picture of grandma fall to the ground? What, what, what you know, like we assess the situation, and then, assuming all is well, you sort of pick up your pieces and you move on in life. But in some cases, earthquakes can leave a wake of destruction that can absolutely ruin a person in their life. They may lose their house, they may lose their belongings, or worse yet, they may lose their own life. And what makes earthquakes so frightening is the unpredictability of them. Right? So, uh, in Minnesota, like, we kind of had a warning. Like, bad weather is coming. Take shelter. If you live in the southeastern part of our country, you know the hurricane's on its way. We need to get out of here, or we need to take shelter. But earthquakes aren't like that. They don't give any forewarning. They just happen without notice. And it causes even greater disorientation and sorts of damages all around us. Now, which is why I think earthquakes are the perfect metaphor for when things go wrong in our lives. They really are, because when things go wrong in our lives, when things go sideways, it's usually very unpredictable. It's a whole lot of disorienting, and it can cause all sorts of damage. And in addition, the question for us is never if an earthquake happens, right, in life, the question for us is, what do I do when the earthquake happens? Because the earthquake will happen. When the financial earthquake happens, then what? When the relational earthquake happens, then what? When the health earthquake happens, then what? What is our response when the foundation of life begins to shake and tremor, when the pictures start to fall off the wall, when everything gets disoriented and we look around afterwards and there's damage everywhere? What is our response? 
So as we dive back into the book of Acts, which thank you, Heather, let's keep it light, right? 40 years, come on. Come on, we're in chapter 16. It's only going to be at least 20, all right? We got, it's never, right? So we're going to be back in the book of Acts. And as we do, we're going to actually look at what our friends Paul and Silas do in the midst of and in the aftermath of an earthquake. And well, it surprised me what they did. And I think that it may surprise you as well, but I am convinced after reading this passage over and over and just trying to get what God do you want to teach us, I'm convinced that what they do in the aftermath and in the middle of this earthquake is a proper response when we also experience earthquakes in our lives as well. Are you with me? Great. Grab your phone if you haven't yet. Open up the YouVersion app. You can follow along. Just go to uh, More and Events, and you can follow Genesis Church there. If you're in your Bible, we're going to be in Acts chapter 16 if you want to find your way there. So just a little recap where we were last week, if you missed or if you just need to be reminded. Um, Last week, we looked, Paul and Silas and Timothy have traveled to an area in Greece called Philippi. And while they're there, they run into these two women. And the first woman, Lydia, is this very wealthy, put-together woman who's searching for God. And as they share the gospel message, she receives it, and she places her faith in Jesus. And not just her, but she brings Paul, Silas, and Timothy back to her home, and she says she has them tell their family as well, and they become followers of Jesus as well. It's this beautiful picture of what can happen when the gospel is shared with somebody who's eager to know about Jesus. But then, days later, they run into another woman, And this woman happens to be possessed by a demon. And Paul shares the name of Jesus with her as well. And she's freed uh, from the demon. And we don't really know what happens to her. But everything sort of comes crumbling down before Paul and Silas. People are mad because this woman was making them an awful lot of money because she could tell the future for people. And people would pay good money for that. And so they end up getting beaten and thrown in jail. And so now they sit in jail unjustly awaiting some sort of trial, they hope, which is where we pick up this story. Verse 25. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners who were listening. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors opened immediately, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open, He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted, stop, don't kill yourself. We are all here. Now, this is a dramatic scene, okay? This does not happen on the regular. Paul and Silas are passing time by praying. They're singing hymns. They're inviting the other uh, prisoners to be a part of that. When this massive earthquake hits... And it says that it was shaken to the very foundations. Like, you can imagine, this prison is in shambles now. The doors flew open. They shook so hard that the chains on their wrists and their feet fell to the ground. Now, assuming everyone had escaped, the jailer, who's responsible for all of these prisoners, realizes, oh my gosh, my life is on the line here now. And so he recognizes his plight. He actually tries to kill himself But Paul calls out and he stops him. Verse 29, the jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? 
They reply, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with them and with all who lived in his household. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. Then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And he and his entire household rejoiced because they believed in God. It's sort of a similar story, if you remember, to what happened with Lydia. Just a few verses earlier. The jailer responds to this message about Jesus and he places his faith in them and he goes and he brings Paul and Silas to his home and his whole household is baptized. They too become followers. It says that he spends time cleaning their wounds. After all, they've been beaten nearly to death probably by wooden rods and he takes care of them and he provides them a place to stay. Verse 35, the next morning, the city officials sent the police to the jailer. Let those men go. So the jailer told Paul, the city officials have said you and Silas are free to leave. Go in peace. But Paul replied, this is Paul, by the way, they've publicly beaten us without a trial and put us in prison and we're Roman citizens. So now they want us to leave secretly? This is going to happen to somebody else. Certainly not. Let them count themselves to release, come to themselves to release us. When the police reported this, the city officials were alarmed to learn that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. They didn't know. So they came to the jail and apologized to them. Then they brought them out and begged them to leave the city. When Paul and Silas left the prison, they returned to the home of Lydia. There they met with the believers and encouraged them once more. And then they left town. Now, we aren't exactly sure what changed the minds of the officials. Maybe they realized they were in the wrong. Maybe they didn't want to cause commotion. Maybe they were afraid because of the earthquake. Regardless, they decide to let Paul and Silas go. But Paul wants to make sure that they realize what they did. Like, this is not supposed to happen. This is an opportunity for Paul to set the record straight about who he really is. There's a lot of misconceptions about who Paul is running rampant throughout the city. He's not only a Jewish man, he's also a Roman citizen. And because of that, he should never have been treated the way he was without trial first. And this will serve him well later as he travels the Roman Empire and word spreads about who he is. In the end, though, Paul and Silas are set free and they eventually leave town. But I want to go back. I want to go back because God spoke to me through this passage in a way I didn't quite expect when I first read it. So the earthquake hits. And it's not just a little shake. Right? It's not just a little tremor like, what was that? The text says that shook the prison to its foundation and the, the, the tremors were so violent that they cracked open the doors and they released these men from their chains. Now listen, I've never been in jail, knock on wood, right? But I have to imagine that if all of a sudden, I, if I was in jail and all of a sudden an earthquake hit and all the doors opened and all the chains fell off, I might try and run out. I don't know about you, but it seems like there's an out and I'm going to take it, right? I mean, that's a natural reaction. If you're chained up, if you're locked in a cell and all of a sudden you're set free, you are running for the, the highest hill you can find. 
That's going to be our natural reaction. Nobody wants to be locked up. So if there's an out, the natural response would be to take it. Go, you're free. Even the jailer seems to recognize everybody left. He can't really see. There's rubble everywhere. There's dust. He's like, they all left. I mean, the door's flung open. There's nothing I can do to stop it. Paul and Silas, as they sit in prison after the earthquake, they have an out. There's a way out. The jailer doesn't even know what to do. He's about to end his own life. All they have to do is slip out the door and they'll be on their way. But they don't move. They don't go anywhere. In fact, none of them do. They just stay there. Now, I'm not sure about you, but when the earthquakes of life hit, I don't usually sit around and wait. I will do anything and everything to find an out, won't you? Get me out of this. I will look for a way to pick up the pieces and just get the heck out of there. I want it fixed. I want it over with. I want it dealt with. Paul and Silas, they've got their out. They're locked in prison. They're chained up. An earthquake hits. They can just run for the hills. They're set free. It's right there. But they don't do it. They stay. And as I read that, I'm like, why would they stay? They, they know they're unjustly imprisoned. They know I'm, I don't belong here. Why didn't they just get up and walk out? Well, I started to think about a few possibilities. And I thought, well, maybe it's possible that they were so injured from the beating that they weren't able to, you know, move. Like they, maybe they had a broken leg or something like that. But based on what happens after the earthquake later, it seems like they're, they're somewhat able-bodied. They're able to go to the jailer's house and have dinner. And it seems like they just go to Lydia's house and they leave. Like they're able to get around. There's nothing indicating that they weren't able to physically leave the jail. And then I also thought, well, maybe it could be that they actually, they don't have a way out. Yeah, maybe the door's flung open, but because of the rubble, there's just no way out. But based on the response of the jailer, which his response is like, they're gone, seems to indicate that they could have left at any moment. There were openings everywhere for them. And so I kept pondering this question, why do they stay? I mean, there's work to be done for the kingdom of God. Why are they staying in this broken down jail? And the only conclusion I could come to was this. They saw an opportunity in the earthquake. They saw this opportunity. Instead of looking for an out, they started looking for an opportunity. In particular, they saw an opportunity to save a man's life. Physically and spiritually. Instead of running out the door, they see an opportunity to keep the jailer from killing himself and instead they lead him to Jesus. Instead of quickly searching for an out, how do we get out of here as quickly as possible? They actually found an opportunity in the midst of the earthquake to expand the kingdom of God. Are you with me? Are we preaching now? Y'all know where I'm going with this, don't you? I mean, that's hardcore. Remember, these men were just beaten. I mean, imagine their faces, black eyes and puffy cheeks and broken ribs. They maybe even were beaten by the jailer who was watching them. And none of it was justified. They weren't in the wrong in any way, shape, or form. 
They're in bad shape and they have every right to be bitter and angry towards those who have put them there. But they aren't. Instead, they are compassionate to the jailer and they seize an opportunity to care and love him. I want to just pause here for a second, okay? Because God wants to speak something to you this morning. He wants to say something to you about the earthquakes in your life. And so let me just ask this question first and be really honest. You don't have to say anything out loud. Please don't. What's your response in the midst of the earthquakes of life? What is your knee-jerk reaction? Are you looking for an out? Or, like Paul and Silas, are you looking for an opportunity? Because here's what God wants to say to all of us this morning, like he said to Paul and Silas, there is an opportunity in your earthquake. It exists. It's there. I mean, look at what James, man, look at what James, the brother of Jesus, says in James 1. I feel bad for James. I mean, imagine being the brother of Jesus, right? (laughs) Your mom, can't you just be more like Jesus, right? Can't you just be more like him? But he's got some good stuff to say. And look what he says in James chapter one. He says, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it and say with me, opportunity for great joy. Let me read it again. When tr- Don't take that way. When troubles of any kind come your way, when the earthquakes hit, when the ground shakes, when things get really iffy, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Could it be that God is asking you to stop looking for an out within your earthquake, the one you're in right now, and he's instead starting asking you to start looking for an opportunity within its midst? You know, some of you know that one of our cars was recently rear-ended at a stoplight. But if you've ever had that happen, it's just really like, bleh. Right? Like, man, now I got to deal with this. But what added to it is we had just purchased the car nine days earlier. Right? So we were really not happy about this whole situation. It was really unfortunate. And so before my family and I went on vacation, I took the car into the shop and I was like, okay, we're going to be on vacation. They'll get it fixed. It's going to be great. And so about a week later, they contacted me and they told me that there's a possibility that three of the parts they need won't be in until October. Right? And since they had the, 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 they had taken the car apart to see what was wrong with it, they couldn't just put it back together, right? It's all broken. And so there's no way for us to have the car, basically, possibly for the next three months. So I sat in my chair and I quietly asked God, okay, God, what is the opportunity you want in this situation for me? <laughs> not, that is not what I asked. <laughs> not even a little bit. I mean, I started looking in every direction I could to get out of this situation. How do I fix this? I started calling insurance companies and the other person's insurance company and other auto body shops. I called the manager at the auto body shop. I want to talk to your manager. I wanted some way to get out of this small little earthquake I was in. And then about a week after this, I realized there is no out to this. And so I called my dad. God, God, I love dads, myself included, right, boys? <laughs> In Salem. And I called my dad. He graciously agreed to me, let me use his car while ours was in the shop. And I wanted to stop you here, okay? I want to stop you because I know some of you. 
I know some of you. And some of you right now are trying to come up with a way to get me out of this. Don't do it. Don't do it. I mean, you, you, you've got the right answer. You can give me some advice. Just don't do it, okay? Because here's the deal. I want to be honest with you. I realize that God just handed me an opportunity. And well, it's not ideal, but I'll take it. As we're reading this passage, I'll take it. I've received the opportunity to allow a very inconvenient thing happen and not allow it to derail my relationship or focus on Jesus. And you know what? I'll take that opportunity. Now, I also realize this, that my earthquake right now is pretty inconsequential in the grand scheme of things. It, it's mattered to our family. But man, some of you are in the midst of earthquakes that are shaking the very foundation of your life. But if Acts chapter 16 teaches us anything, it's that when the foundations are shaken, there is an opportunity waiting for you. The question is, are you looking for it? Can you see it like Paul and Silas see it? If you are in a financial earthquake, are you looking for an out or are you looking for the opportunity? Are you looking for a quick fix or is God providing you an opportunity to finally get on board with how to handle your money his way. If you have a fractured marriage or relationship right now, are you, just, are you just looking for a quick fix? Are you looking for an out? Something that will just somehow magically mend it quickly? Or is God providing you an opportunity to look deep inside yourself, to grow in him and to love your spouse more sacrificially and selflessly than ever before? If you're experiencing the earthquake of the loss of a loved one, are you looking for an out from all of the pain and the hurt of losing a loved one, which is real? Or is God providing you an opportunity to become stronger in your faith and share your story that will have power to strengthen someone else? I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying it's easy. I can't imagine it was very easy for Paul and Silas as they sat in that jail realizing we could run for it right now. But this guy over here needs us. He's about to end his life and we have an opportunity to share Jesus and hope with him. And I would rather sit in this jail and share that good news than to search for an out and miss that opportunity. And I will just say this. I'll just remind you that there is an opportunity in your earthquake. And it doesn't matter how big or small it is, there's an opportunity there. The question is, will you look for it and will you trust God enough to actually lean into it? And let me remind you of this. I say this all the time. That Jesus has not asked you to do something he didn't do himself. As I read this story, I could not help but think of another earthquake in the Bible. In Matthew chapter 27, it says, But Jesus, again, crying out loudly, breathed his last. And at that moment, the temple curtain was ripped in two, top to bottom. There was an earthquake, and rocks were split in pieces. You know, as Jesus hung on the cross, dying for the sins of the world, he could have easily taken a quick out. He could have easily just been like, This isn't worth it. I'm out of here. There's a quick fix. I can do it. I'll take it. But he didn't. And you know why? 
because he knew that there was an opportunity in the earthquake that was about to happen. He knew that as he breathed his last, the world and the people living in it would be forever changed. And he was not going to miss out on that opportunity. And so he hung there for you and for me and for this entire world. He didn't look for an out. He saw the opportunity and he carried it out to the very end. And so he said, God, do what you can do through me. What opportunity awaits you in the midst of the earthquakes of your life? That is the question we have to ask our very souls this morning. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for reminding us that, hey, it's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when the earthquake hits, that you will be there. Thank you for the testimony of Paul and Silas as they sat in that prison. They had every opportunity to run their way out of there, and yet they stayed, and they saw a person who needed the gospel, and they shared it with him. And because of that, not only was his life changed, but his entire genealogy from that point on was changed. God, I pray that in this room this morning, that you would meet us in the earthquakes. And there are earthquakes happening in this room. There are people whose lives are being shaken to the very foundation. I pray you would meet us there, that you remind us that you, through Jesus Christ, stayed to the bitter end because the opportunity was so great that you would remind us, look for the opportunity, that you would remind us of James chapter one, that when troubles come, there is an opportunity for great joy. God, that we would seize that moment, that we would take it by the, the, the shirt and we would say, we will not leave this place until you have done what only you can do. God, remind us that there is always an opportunity in our earthquake. And then give us the strength to have the eyes to see it. Give us the resilience to stay put, to do what you called us to do in the midst of the earthquakes. And thank you for Jesus who went all the way to the bitter end so that we might be set free, that we might experience forgiveness of sins, that we might experience new life that begins today and goes on forever and ever. Thank you that he didn't look for the quick fix, that he didn't look for the out, but he saw the opportunity and he stuck with it. May we follow in his footsteps this morning, God. We love you. We surrender to you. In the midst of our earthquakes, we ask, God, that you would give us and show us the opportunity that exists within it. In your name we pray. Amen. Hey, would you stand with us? We're going to sing a song of surrender this morning. And just say, God, we're here. Even in the midst of our earthquake, we surrender to you. May you do a good work in